Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., Jesse Cofield hanging out in DraftKings Studio in Boston. We got a great show for you guys coming up today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us. Leave us a five-star rating and try and catch us here live, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday on the DraftKingsNetwork.com, the YouTube channel, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, and more. Uh, this is one of those days I have to remind you, it is Tuesday. We know it's Tuesday. We're going to scare you a little bit because Charlotte <laughs> Wilder is going to be here with us in the second hour of the show. Our good buddy from Oddball with the Me and El Hassan, great basketball podcast you can get here in DraftKings Network, who normally is with us for Wilder Wednesday because of scheduling conflict, has to be here and make it a Wilder Tuesday. So don't freak out. You are not late for something. Your appointment that you had on Wednesday is not coming up today. And uh, your only marker of time should be the history that we saw in the NBA last night because dad, in the middle of the dog days of the NBA season that we hear referenced by a lot of coaches and players right now as they're trying to get through January and February and, and approach the all-star break and the playoffs and all that stuff we had big men just decide to go all the way off last night as Joel Embiid's and Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns put on an absolute show headlined by Joel Embiid becoming just the ninth player in NBA history to score 70 points in an NBA game and dad you know this from decades covering the sport anytime you're breaking a record or approaching a record or even mentioned in the same sentence as Wilt Chamberlain you tend to be yeah. doing something pretty good yeah, I would say, you know, on and off the court, right? With Wilt, it seems. Uh, <laughs> Wilt is, he is, he is kind of the standard of so many records that he has. So to be in that category and 70 points, Wilt had 68 for the 76ers. So Embiid breaks that. And it is one of those things where <clears throat> it's the hot hand, so you keep feeding him. At some point, players have the realization of where you are and what you're trying to do. We see it in all sports, you know, where – where you go for that record if you have the chance. You know, they had the game. They've been up by double digits here, so they were winning the game. But sometimes you, as we'll get into Minnesota, they for, forsake the game at times uh, to try and get a record. But Embiid has been unbelievable this year. I mean, he's been an MVP. He's going to be in the lead for the MVP again. His team, more importantly, because that's the only thing. And he talks about it, and, I, and you have to believe that, Mike, is – the only thing he talks about is a ring, because that's the only thing evading him right now of being the best player in the game, one of the best players in the game, getting about every honor you can except for winning that title. But he was on it last night, took 41 shots, uh, only two free, uh, threes, and he hit one of them, 23 free throws as well. He just had it going on for a team that, like I said, the, you know, they were getting San Antonio would make a little bit of a run, and then they keep him at bay. A little bit of a run, they keep him at bay, and then it was just keep feeding the big man. I mean, well, and speaking of keep feeding the big man and what you kept at bay, 
on any other day, we would have talked about the fact that they were playing the Spurs. It was Joel Embiid versus Victor Wembanyama. It was two bigs. You got a great shot of Joel Embiid, who was a mountain of a man himself, who was one of the big space aliens in the NBA, walking by Victor Wembanyama in the pregame and all of a sudden looking over at him like, what is this freak show? As he walked past and kind of stood up tall to try and size him up. Victor Wembanyama went for 33 and seven in this game. Like a very good game in a matchup with one of the best teams in the league. And it is going to be lost in the sands of time because he couldn't even match half of what Joel Embiid did in this game. So dad, you mentioned it. I feel like part of this is the sports industrial complex thing where we are going until Joel Embiid wins a ring, hold that over his head and try and render any accomplishment somewhat meaningless for him. But this feels like one where, especially at the time it came, the 18th anniversary of Kobe Bryant's 81 points, this does seem like a thing worth celebrating in the midst because when you have the middle of the NBA season full of all these games and you get a moment like this and the way Joel Embiid was able to do it in contrast with what we'll talk about with Cat, who did it largely behind the three-point line, Joel Embiid is such an artist in the mid-range with what he can do and it was on display for him even in a game about score as a passer last night I just I do think it's interesting to stop and consider every once in a while the sort of big man renaissance even though it looks different than the guys that used to post up on the block back in the day that we have right now in the NBA yeah yeah I I I love seeing some of that because we'll get into with Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns he took like 15 threes so a little difference in the way a big man approaches the game and Bede you know is in that paint and he'll certainly take the mid-rangers but I think the other interesting thing about him last night, only one turnover. He handled the ball a lot and just one turnover as he, again, 70 points, 18 rebounds, five assists, one steal, one block, and only one turnover to go in that game. So, And I think I've said this for a couple of decades now, Mike, and I'd like to know where you are on this. We talked about how we associate Super Bowls with quarterbacks, and to me I think that's unfair because – There's three parts to a game. Even though that's the most important position out there, there are three parts to the game. And it makes it a little difficult to say just one person is going to, you know, let's associate. We're not associating Jerry Rice, maybe the greatest player to ever put on pads, with Super Bowl rings. He's just the greatest player that ever played, that we call him. He's not associated with that. I look at other sports, and, and I think basketball is the one where, that player, so I look at the sports and say, which player can have the most effect on a game? The most dominant effect. You're talking a pitcher in baseball, right? But he's still not on the offensive side, okay? He can hold down a team, but he's not on the offensive side. A goalie, for sure, you know, you get a goalie standing on his head, you know, you, you can't lose if the goalie doesn't give up any goals, but you still need, you still need somebody on your offense to score a goal for you to win. In basketball, you're part of offense, you're part of defense, you're out there the entire time. You know, you're, you're, it, you, you have more effect, I think, on a game on both ends oh, of yeah, the listen, court than any other sport. I think there's no doubt that that's part of the equation. And so I understand why this becomes such a dominant part of the discourse around NBA players. But I also think at times it robs us of joy. Like you could use that to basically render this meaningless because Joel Embiid has not yet climbed the mountaintop. And so he doesn't get to be lauded for this the same way a guy like Kobe Bryant was back in the day because Kobe was a multiple time champion and because he had already checked off the boxes that we deem necessary for you to be like seen as someone of value on an NBA court and we're still going to have questions about Joel in the postseason I saw somebody on Twitter very cruelly call him the NBA's Dak Prescott but I I still think in these moments especially when you see how he goes about this and the way someone his size can make basketball look I I still like to be able to stop and be impressed by that even if we know the ultimate and even if he knows the ultimate goal like Philadelphia is blessed to have three athletes right now under its umbrella that all kind of get the city between Bryce Harper Jason Kelsey and Joel Embiid who understand what it's about and in their own way approach the city in a way that really I think endears them with fans but yes i think you're absolutely right on that dad i don't think it's particularly though, close though i, I while I'll, I'll stand by that to to argue against my own argument rarely in in it's been a, for a while now that one lone superstar can help you win a title though right 
you need you need a partner. You need a Batman or Robin, or sometimes you need three on that team to win nowadays. Well, I guess that's why in the wake of what Denver did last year, it does feel like that's a little bit different because Jamal Murray's a great player. There are other yeah, guys on right. that team, Aaron Gordon, that helped out, but that was the Nikola Jokic show. And so now for Joel Embiid, it does become complicated. Well, it doesn't become complicated going forward. For Joel Embiid, he knows what's at stake here. The team knows what's at stake here. And they are a team right now that has had the bulk of this core together for a while. They fought hard to keep a guy like uh Tyrese Maxey around Tobias Harris has been there and it felt like been the subject of trade rumors for years as people will they won't they about the success of the money that they've given him but the job is pretty clear for them and the question still remains the same is can you get this same version of Joel to show up in the postseason when usually by the end of the year a guy with his size and injury history is feeling the effects of those things and starts to slow down this level of production because the level he's producing at right now is the greatest of all time. He's the reigning most valuable player, and he's on track to have the greatest scoring season in NBA history. Through two games, he has 1,000, or 32 games, excuse me. He has 1,156 points in 1,096 minutes. That's a pace of more than a point per minute, and it's something that only Wilt Chamberlain has ever done in the history of the NBA. So that's how he's followed up the MVP season. And Dad, I do wonder, do you feel like the NBA is going to look pretty dumb if their little 65-game rule gets in the way of a guy who looks clearly like the most valuable player in basketball from winning the award for the most valuable player in basketball yeah I mean it it would be somewhat odd now again if a player plays 40 some games you could you could see it's not enough of a sample size to get it it's all but remember and again I'm not getting into it go ahead and read it yourself there are some caveats to the 65 games to where you can still win. And and but but I I agree with him. I mean, he won it he won it last year. His thing is a title, right? They're still sitting four back uh from Boston. They're third in the conference behind Boston and Milwaukee. That's so we know that's the battle. So we know with Embiid it's going to be been here done that in the regular season. You know, you're 3 points better than you were even last year when you won the MVP. You just had a monster game, but now the next level is set. It's kind of, excuse me, where we are with Lamar Jackson, right? Lamar Jackson's going to win his second MVP, but we keep talking about the failings in the the playoffs. And if he doesn't, if they don't do it again, it's going to be again. This guy's one of the best players in the league. He's got a couple of, you know, multiple MVPs, but can't help get his team. Where again, I'll say it's unfair to put it all on a quarterback, but that's what we do to say, okay, we're all waiting for the next step now. We know you're good up to this point, but when can you get us over the hump? And he's going to have to do it this year with, like you said, with Maxi, with Harris and those guys to try and win this title. Uh, he is, but he's going to do that now with the distinction of having the best single-game scoring performance in 76ers team history under his belt. Worth noting, we mentioned he passed Wilt Chamberlain, who had the top three scoring performances <laughs> until that point. It was Wilt Chamberlain and Allen Iverson, and now Joel stands on top of that list. And Jesse, we did mention it came on a very a sort of poetic day as it was the 18th anniversary of Kobe Bryant going off for 81 points, which felt attainable for another NBA superstar at the beginning of last night. Yeah, and Embiid said post-game, he was like, Kobe was my favorite player growing up. He's why I got into basketball. But the best reaction of the night, we got to talk about this. <laughs> It yes. came from KD in the post-game presser. I don't know if you saw Joel Embiid score 70. Cat had 60. 70? Yeah, Joel had a 70 today. 53. Yeah, yeah 70. Yeah. So what did nights like tonight mean in the NBA? <laughs> I think Cat had 40 at half. I mean, the skill level in this league is insane. And, and, and actually the coaching, the schemes on offense is insane. You're seeing so many different sets being run. Uh, for bigs to get threes. I mean, coaches are being way more creative to put their best players in, in, in great positions to get those numbers. And you got shooters all around the floor. You got penetrators. I mean, this is the peak of basketball, in my opinion. You're seeing it with guys doing. Yeah, cat ending with 62. And Durant actually had 43 points himself yeah. in that victory over <laughs> Chicago. But then he's getting told what the other guys are doing. He's like, Oh, man, <laughs> not so good. You thought you did good, but not quite so good. True. They were just handing. There was something in the water last night, just handing out like candy. Everybody had points plenty. And with Kevin Durant, we're sort of numb to that because he's one of the greatest and most effortless scorers we've ever seen. But, Dad, he kind of hit on it. 
in a day and age now where you've got bigs that can space the floor and shoot, it does create such a weird math problem for teams defensively. And you've got to cover so much ground on the floor because of how people space it and because of how analytics have changed the way that we approach scoring in basketball. But um, it, it, it's... <clears throat> remarkable to see and watching this last night i was watching the joel Embiid game and i tweeted something about him having you know whatever amount of points he had at halftime of that game and then immediately just started getting well butted by what carl anthony towns was doing in yep. the first half of that game that they eventually lost that was the mind-blowing part for me and let me tell you what the only person whose mind was more blown by this was chris finch minnesota's head coach who after the game went all the way off on his team calling them immature and saying their performance was disgusting. Listen to this. It was an absolute disgusting performance of defense and immature basketball um, all the way through the game. So it really didn't slip away. It had been there from the jump. So this is what happens when you uh, have this type of approach. There's always a lot of ways to be immature. Um, and there was a lot of immature performances here throughout the the roster we totally disrespected the game ourselves um and we got exactly what we deserve so dad do you question the approach at <laughs> well, all here from chris well, finch <clears throat> no because he's a coach so i get it um again for those that, that don't know carl anthony towns uh, he, he had himself an unbelievable game at 62 in this game what a difference of two two bigs uh we said Embiid took two three-pointers Cat uh, took 15 and made 10. He got to the free throw line 14 times and Embiid 23. That's a difference of Cat shoots way more from the outside. So two different approaches. So and and here's a team that's leading the West. They're 30 yeah. and 13. They're leading the rest, West. So sometimes you get a little more comfortable, or when you get a guy like this going off. I'm not going to lie. As a player, I, I hear the coach saying that. He probably said it for effect in the locker room as well. But I'd be like, you know what? I'm cool giving up one here to see what we can get Cat to go. You did blow an 18-point lead in the fourth quarter. Carl uh, Anthony Towns was 2 of 10. And basically what Chris Finch is saying is they kept force-feeding Cat. He was shooting horribly in the fourth. Even though they were coming back on us, we kept going to that well that was missing in the fourth quarter when we should have been doing other things. I'm like... You know what? I'll take a chance on this one. We got an 18-point lead. Let's feed this dude and see how much he can get. I, I think there's something to that, and you can call it team morale or anything else, but I, I heard Candace Parker was on the halftime show of NBA TV for the Sixers game and was talking about approaching records like this and said – you don't get many opportunities yep. to touch this kind of air. And she believes that because the rest of us in the media and the fan bases are so historically inclined now and constantly throw records out at people that players have kind of seen the importance of that too and understand when they've got an opportunity, they usually want to go get it. And so I can understand that mentality of, of man, if I'm feeling it and 44 points in the yep. first half, there's a lot that's possible for you. Yep. If you keep up anything even close to that, I kind of get it from their standpoint but especially as a teammate over the course of a long season dad and this is the part where you and i have a tough time identifying playing football where you've got comparatively fewer games is over the course of a season this long in the nba i'd imagine you got to find different stuff to keep you yeah. interested and yeah. engaged as it goes and a guy dropping 44 in the first half feels like a pretty easy way for everybody involved and, and I don't know if I don't know Chris Finch, you know, at all. So I don't know if he was doing that publicly and behind closed doors. He was like not didn't have a problem with it. I have no idea. Oh, but I that I, seemed I, like a guy that was trying like, to send the message to his yeah, locker room yeah. through the media right there. He I agree. And, and, and I'm not going to lie. I don't know how how that message was received. It would be like, OK, yes, coach. OK. And then when the players are by themselves, they're like, hey, we do that any day of the week and try and get this done. So I get and it's done in other sports. Remember, Christy McCaffrey had that record tied for consecutive games with a touchdown. Yeah. They ran him three straight times by the goal line. Didn't get in. Puka Nakua, the last game of the season when everybody was sitting, when the Rams had made the playoffs, he had a couple of rookie records. I remember he needed four receptions and 29 yards. They got him four receptions and 30-some yards and took him the hell out of the game. So I, I, you're right. Players, every, organizations, they, they know these things. And I don't mean bonuses money-wise. Puka was going for actual sure. records. So that, that, that coaches even know that and say, okay, it, it is hard to come by, so let's give it a shot while we have the chance. 
and I, I can understand for Chris Finch, because you mentioned, like, for anyone else pulling themselves out of the football vortex right now and checking the NBA standings, like, yeah, you're not seeing things. The Minnesota Timberwolves are the number one yes. team in the West. The Rudy Gobert experiment and the King's ransom they gave up for him seems to be paying off, but it didn't last year. They weren't a good basketball team last year. A lot of us looked at that as a failure. And so when you're the coach that's part of trying to turn that around, I'm sure you're trying to instill things on a daily basis. Your superstar in Anthony Edwards is young. He's a big time personality. And I'm sure, sure part of your life is spent trying to corral and rein him in, which good luck with that. And so I can understand why maybe on a team with that much personality, he's got to sort of play that bad cop role. Yeah. But every once in a while, it's probably cool to just look up and go, oh, yeah, dude was balling. We've got 82 more of these things. I think we're going to be okay. Just feed him the ball. It's a shame, too, that it got cold in the fourth quarter. And a shame, too, they ended up losing the game, like I yeah, said. But uh, it would if he stayed as hot as he was early, what it could have ended up with. Yeah, these kind of records, for him to fall short of Embiid's 70 points yeah. after grossly outpacing him early in the game and then managing to lose that one lose. does make it a lot less yeah. cute. I will say that. So Chris Finch is at least on to something there that uh, the, it don't mean a thing if you don't get that ring moniker. Kind of applies to baller scoring performances and actually winning the game. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Gojo and Golik, the Titans have found their new head coach in Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. Callahan, of course, replacing Mike Vrabel, who was fired on January 9th after six seasons. Callahan had his second interview with the team on Monday, and Tennessee did not let him leave without a job. Apparently didn't want him to walk out of the building without that job. Guys, he has 14 years of experience in the NFL. He's been the Bengals offensive coordinator since 2019. He's credited with aiding in the development of Joe Burrow, who's pretty good at football. So what do we think about the Callahan hire, guys? He's worked with some prolific quarterbacks here, but also, like, not a name we saw being tossed around a lot when we were talking about, you know, who's the hot hire in this offseason. Well, I mean, I think it kind of fits, Dad, with what we had heard people surmise that Tennessee might be looking for with Rand Carthen now taking over as the GM this last season, wanting to give him the biggest voice, I think, in personnel decisions. Going up against a big personality like Mike Vrabel in the building probably was pretty difficult, so I think the thought a lot of people had was they wanted someone who would be more willing to go with the program and just do their portion of the equation, and a guy in Brian Callahan who was certainly going to be a hot name this cycle, but maybe not the first one that came to mind for a lot of people, might fit that role pretty well, especially coming from Cincinnati where he was a part of building that Joe Burrow-led offense. Well, you sit there and you and you look at what teams do a lot of times, and a lot of times they'll go oppo, right? Vrabel, a defensive-minded coach, a defensive coach. Callahan is an offensive guy. Callahan broke into the uh, the NFL uh, with Denver and was there for I think five, six years. Started at uh, as just a coaching assistant, ends up as an offensive assistant, but through his stops. With Denver, with Detroit, with the Raiders, he worked with Peyton Manning, Matthew Stafford, and Derek Carr and got them all throwing pretty well uh, for a whole lot of yards and then ends up with Joe Burrow uh, in Cincinnati. So we see what he's done on the offensive side of the ball. And as I said, a lot of times a team will go the opposite way. 
So then the thing you look for first, because you know the offensive side is taken care of, and he'll probably be a guy that's going to call his own plays there. It's then who do you get on the defensive side? So who's going to be the defensive coordinator to run that side of the ball? But it's a coaching family. Listen, his dad, Bill, was coaching around in the NFL when I was playing. He's still the O-line. I think it was the O-line coach in Cleveland, I think, right? I mean, well, he broke into the he broke into the NFL Right after I left, I left in 94. He ended up with the Eagles in 95. That was his first NFL gig, but he was in college for a bunch of years before that. He was a head coach at Nebraska as well, the interim head coach for Washington, head coach of the Raiders. So certainly the family tree here in now Brian getting that head coaching shot. And I, I just was looking at their resumes, Dad. It doesn't look like they've ever coached together they anywhere before they have not. as they've gone along. That should, if you're a Titans fan, you're praying to God that changes now because one of the areas you really struggled this last year yeah. was offensive line. You had a lot of turnover there. You drafted Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern, who was a big bright spot for them now. And I'd imagine Brian's first call is going to be to his dad, Bill, who last time on Dragon Ball Z, I don't know if y'all have looked at the program they built over there at Cleveland, pretty darn good offensive line program. Brian's been a guy that or Bill, excuse me, has been a guy that I think was one of the early coaches for Zach Martin in Dallas, too. So that's pedigree. Yep. And if you can get a guy like that, there aren't that many offensive line coaches in the league that are meaningful skill developers in a way that makes a difference and moves the bottom line for your team. And that would be a huge coup for Tennessee to be able to pull him out of this coaching cycle as well. So let me ask you a question. If we were coaching in the NFL and you ended up getting a head coaching job and I was an assistant somewhere else, would you bring me to your team because you wanted me to coach on your team because you thought I was a good enough coach, or you would be my boss? That's why you would bring me on the team, that you would now be able to lord over your father and answer honestly. I'm going to go see on this one. I'm going to go off the board because if I didn't, mom would kill me. And I don't want to do anything that's going to tick off my mom. So this is one of those things we all know who we have to keep happy. And if I didn't <laughs> hire you, then I would have mom breathing down my back asking me what the hell was going on. That's a good point. Because she would say, hire your father and get him the hell out of the house, okay? Uh, yes. Need, need him out of here. Yeah. But uh, I, I, yes. I agree with you. That would be awesome. And I'm sure Bill would love to go work for his son. I think that would be awesome. I mean, any father would love you know, that for their kid as well. So congrats to him. You're right. Brian Callahan wasn't the name that was out there. It was Slowick. It was Ben Johnson, whose names are still yeah. out there. And others, you didn't hear Callahan a lot, but he has been successful with the coaches he has worked with through his what would be, be kind of equally short time. He's only been in the NFL as a coach since 2010. Uh, I mean, that's a short time compared to a lot of these coaches. But we are seeing younger and younger coaches. He's a 39-year-old uh, first-time head coach. So this is kind of the way of the NFL now. It, it certainly is. So congratulations to him. I know Zach Taylor spoke very highly of him in the role he's played in helping build their offense in Cincinnati and building around a player with the magnitude of Joe Burrow. But, Dad, while we're on coaching hirings, we forgot to touch on yesterday, coming off yes. the weekend that had so much football built in it that at the end of last week we had the news on Friday that the Las Vegas Raiders made it official and they announced that Antonio Pierce would take the interim tag off and become their full-time head coach for the team after going four, five and four down the stretch of the season, including three and one in division and giving Raiders fans a lot of hope. And, and we've talked a lot this coaching cycle, dad, and I think through the lens of Antonio Pierce about the value that leadership plays in the room, your ability to go out there and motivate the 53 guys on that roster that especially in Las Vegas seemed like they were as empty in that barrel as possible coming off Josh McDaniels and the way that he didn't get along with that locker room. So how, how much of a chance do you think he has to replicate the success we saw at the end of the season over the course of a long year? So he had pretty good numbers, but and I don't think that's the reason. But I, well, that he's that he got this job. Obviously, it's part of it. So again, they went five and four under him, three and one in the AFC West under him. During his time in his nine games, the Raiders led the NFL in fewest points allowed per game at sixteen. They had four defensive touchdowns that led the way. They had the fewest penalties, which is a stunner for the Raiders, while having the tenth most takeaways. And they also had 30 sacks 
in his time as well. That's a third most toward the end of the season. So they played better. But I think the thing here and why Devontae Adams and Max Crosby publicly caped for this guy was they just loved the way he ran the locker room. Now, it was a complete 180 of just how bad it was with Josh McDaniels. I, I don't know if I've seen two coaches more disliked in locker rooms than Matt Patricia in Detroit and Josh McDaniels yeah. in, in the, with the Raiders. I mean, it's been amazing. So just from that standpoint, how players are treated, and I think that's the big thing. They had some good results, but a, a head coach is so, much, is so much more than an X's and O's. That's that CEO. That's the guy that, you know, you want to say inspires or motivates. Again, these are pro athletes. You think they should be able to do it themselves, but it's certainly nice when, when, you, when you respect a coach that much that you'll run through a wall, as Devontae Adams said, I run through a wall for this guy. I mean, that's... That's great stuff, especially for a guy in Antonio Pierce who's not that far, you know, he's been out of the game for a while, but still on the, on the younger side. I love how the relationship he has with the players. And again, Mike, he had a modicum of success, right? Going five and four and some of the numbers I just had. So it wasn't all just, he's a good guy, let's keep him around. They did get some positive results. They did. It only gets harder now because you've got questions yeah. that you still have to answer at quarterback, and you've got a full offseason where now he's going to have to be a part of all that other stuff. He went from, and I think that transition, Dad, we always talk about this, you don't usually spend a ton of time with your head coach one-on-one -on -one in a team right. setting. Right. And so he had the advantage of being one of the coaches that was on the staff there where you get to have a different relationship with the players. You are usually closer with a lot of those guys, and that carried over to his time as the interim head coach. Is he able to maintain that? especially because he's not going to be a guy that's calling plays does that give him the ability to float to more areas of the team to maintain that pulse of the locker room and use that to his advantage because ultimately he's still going to be defined by how do they fix the quarterback situation and where right. do they go about right. talent acquisition when it comes to this spring but he's got the rest of the intangibles that are sometimes the hardest part to find in these coaching searches he's got that nailed down yep and the one thing now young coaches the important thing is who do you bring in as your coordinators yeah, I think that's as fascinating as anything for us to pay attention to as we get to that portion of the NFL coaching carousels. Who are these guys bringing in-house to make it work? The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr. here. And, uh, Dad, we talked about a lot of the coaching hires here, but there's a name that popped up among the GM hires in the front offices that looked a little bit familiar to football fans of a certain age and a guy that you actually had a pretty close run-in with, run with back in his college days. Yeah, Dan Morgan, and, and shame on me. I, I didn't know he was obviously going the path of this because he certainly has been a great college player and first-round pick in the pros uh, back in, what, 2001. He was 11th pick overall. And then he's been started out as a scouting intern in 2010 with Seattle, worked with them, worked with Buffalo, director of player personnel, and then Carolina as the assistant general manager. Now the general manager. This was a guy, Mike, <clears throat> and I'll be interested to know how he's been handling or will now as the GM of the combine and if some player says this to him because i was back then i was at espn and i was as well as doing radio calling college games 
And his last uh, game in a bowl game, I covered it. You know, if you're done after that with that school, you can leave and go separately after the bowl game and such. So I'm at the airport and I, I run into him and we're talking about, hey, hell of a career, blah, blah, blah. I said, you know, you're looking forward to the combine. And he was like, basically, you know, I'm, I'm not doing anything there. You know, I'm not, I'm not running. I'm not, I, he goes, I had 40 some starts. He goes, I got enough film on me that they can go by. He goes, I got no reason to do anything at the combine. I'm like, all right. I love that attitude because he's right, man. <laughs> you know, they, they, they have all that on him, all the So you either don't go to the combine or you just go there and just do interviews and hang out and don't do any of the work. So I'll be interested when a player says to him, uh, yep. you know, at the combine, yeah, I'm not going to be doing anything because you got enough film to watch on me <laughs> to see what Dan's reaction will be. I can say I'm sure part of him will smile remembering what a young Dan Morgan would have done in this situation. But now the part of him that is tasked with the hopes and dreams of an organization manned by one of the most hyper aggressive billionaires oh. in the NFL going, hey, I really need as much information as possible to show my boss. So if you could help me out and just run at least 140, that would be really great for me. And I would really appreciate it because it is it's one of those things where. So much of the combine, Dad, is, in my mind, trying to confirm baselines for guys and what they need to be successful at the next level. But part of it is also like, hey, you need numbers to show your boss to know that I can make stuff work. This guy falls within safe parameters of the physical right. uh, for physical parameters. We need to be successful in this league. So let me take him for the cost of like $30 million with the second overall pick in the draft. Going to be interesting how Dan navigates that one after uh, being young and uh, having the approach that, like you said, is what you've always viewed the combine as and kind of its role in this process. And and, and I understand, you know, the, you know, the great Bill Poley and one of the great GMs of all, all time, you know, used it for just what you said, kind of guidelines, you know, but but even guidelines can be off. You know, you're, you're expected to be a certain height or a certain weight for a certain position at a certain f speed to fit into that. We know that just that doesn't happen. How much did Kyle Hamilton get ripped for a slow 40 at the combine, right? Oh. Or the pro day? Was it the combine or the pro day? Either one. Com it was, Where, it was I mean, the combine. I mean, my God, who, who, who cares? Watch him play. Watch his makeup speed on the field. I mean, that, that's the stuff that just irritates me when you're not in that box. You're kind of, no, no, uh-oh, and you're kind of cast aside. And, and that just that, that, that is an aggravating thing to a player who gets it done on the field without having some of those markers. So we now, and I just had the light go on here as you were talking, Dad, realized that as we've been talking about the rash of linebacker hires at head coach in the NFL, we've yeah. now got linebacker GM as well. So it really is something in the water in 2024 that's got guys that used to go downhill and shorten necks getting in these positions of power. Well, I mean, think about it. You always usually have the linebackers. Now you have safeties at times calling the defense. So they're kind of been the quarterbacks of the defense, right? And have to kind of know what everybody is doing. So I guess that kind of follows suit because you're right. There has been a glut of them. Yeah, we talked to Clay Matthews uh, about that last week and, and mentioned that. And he said even the difference of guys that played that middle linebacker spot because Clay spent so much of his career at the start on the outside. He said, I just kind of got to do my thing on the outside. But when you're in the middle, you do have to be able to talk to everybody. And I do think at a base level, as we're talking about a lot of this, it's your ability to relate to and motivate people in critical situations. And that comes directly from that experience in the most insane crucible possible, where it's got the physical toll. We're in the middle of the battle that is a football game every week. So it, it, it is... One of those things where it's, it doesn't feel like we're having to force that. That's a skill set that makes sense in the way that it translates. It's a lot of the same way we talk about point guards who end up making that transition right from the NBA to head coaching the way we've seen a little more often as of late. So uh, congratulations to Dan Morgan on that. Dad, while we've got a minute, we're coming off the divisional round weekend. We're getting ready for conference champions. We'll have plenty of time to look ahead from that. We'll take a little look at the matchups with Charlotte when we get her uh, coming up here in the next hour. But we do have a bunch of teams now that are on the way out between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and others. And Jesse, they've got a, a lot of questions due the teams that just got shown the door that are going to start to mount up this offseason to try and determine whether or not they can make a trip back to the dance next year. Yeah, the Bucks are headed into the offseason with 18 unrestricted free agents, okay? We have some notable ones up here for you to take a look at. Mike Evans, Baker Mayfield, Anton Winfield Jr., Loante David, Devin White, Chase McLaughlin. So 
It's a lot, and according to OverTheCap.com, Bucks are expected to have 47 million unofficially in cap space this year. So they're entering this offseason, like we said, with a lot of questions, okay? So do the, a lot of the other teams, though, that were knocked out over the weekend. So what I want to know is of the teams sent home in the divisional round, you guys, who do you think is most likely to be back next year? Well, Dad, based Ooh. on the questions they do or don't have to answer, I'd say Green Bay's in pretty good position for that, yep. right? Without having a young core of your roster get there a year early. Now, there's always a chance for regression, but in a division where you're going to see probably a change in quarterback in Minnesota with the Vikings and what that they've got going on, the Chicago Bears are in the middle of that kind of transition as well, and, and really just you and Detroit eye-to-eye right now more than likely, I would say they've probably got the best shot even if – I'm not going to really bet against the Buffalo Bills because no matter what, they're still going to have Josh Allen under center, even though he's going to eat up more of the cap starting next year. And they've got a lot of questions themselves in terms of free agents. So of the divisional round of the eight teams that were there, there were kind of three that were like surprising, right? The Texans for sure. Green Bay was surprising and Tampa Bay making it to yeah. divisional round. I think they were all surprising. Tampa Bay was paying the price for a couple of years because they kept signing everybody while Brady was there, right? You knew they were going to be in financial hell, and now 18, as Jesse said, 18 free agents. So now you have some decisions to make. You can see some changes on that team. Houston is a young team that will continue to build with the young core around them. And But I lean to you. I say Green Bay as well. I mean, of the 10 players that were targeted with a pass for the Packers during their divisional game, their loss to San Francisco, nine are on rookie deals. So, I mean, I, I, and I did them the last two weeks and couldn't have spouted enough the amount of rookies and second-year players catching the ball for them that they have and a quarterback that matured so much. I know, I know he tried to make the hero throw at the end of that game. It happens, right? There are vets that do that as well. He, he shouldn't have done that. I'm sure Matt LaFleur has talked to him about it. But you can't deny the season that he had, especially not turning the ball over. So when you look at the teams that lost in the divisional round, I think while the Texans are a, a young team growing with them, I think what the production we saw out of youth in Green Bay and the amount of players they have with a quarterback who it's definitely his gig, right? Because we're talking about those teams too. He's the quarterback in Green Bay. Uh, the, the quarterback is C.J. Stroud is the quarterback in Houston. And it looks like Baker, at least for the near future, is going to be the guy in Tampa Bay. But I definitely lean toward Green Bay in this. And you're seeing why teams that have young quarterbacks they're trying to build on sometimes err on hiring an offensive-minded head coach who can call plays because what's going to happen to C.J. Stroud next year? He's going to probably have a new play caller in his ear because Bobby Sloak is going to get poached by right. someone for their head coaching opportunity. And so now early in his career, the voice is going to change for him. And while he's still great in the personnel they're going to have there in his offense, they're going to get Tank Dell back next year. Nico Collins showed a lot in this team. They're going to have resources but Matt LaFleur, who has given a lot of credit, and rightly so, for the way Jordan Love has developed in that Packers offense and what he affords him, he's still going to be the same guy that's working with him this entire offseason. And so that's one of the other factors that starts to creep in for all these teams as the coaching carousel spins around. Welcome back to Gojo and Goal Lake. So the Lions are making a key signing before the conference title game going out, apparently bringing on Zach Ertz, okay? Three-time Pro Bowler, started his season with the Cardinals. He was cut in late November after he requested to be released. He's expected to sign with the Lions practice squad, then be elevated for the NFC title game. That is according to NFL Network. His addition to the team is coming after Lions tight end Brock Wright sustained that forearm injury um, in the divisional round victory over the Bucks. So, guys, obviously great to bring in a veteran can only help your chances to make it to the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, it's certainly. And I mean, uh, Lord knows this is a, a team that knows a thing or two about the use of tight ends. So a pretty cool place to wind up on this dad. But it's always interesting doing the calculation on this, because didn't you have a chance to sign with someone who would have been a contender late in the season like this about how you feel about joining on to a team and getting a ring when you're probably not going to play a ton and haven't been there for the entire season? 
Yeah, the diff <clears throat> difference was I was released and didn't ask to be released. <laughs> Zach, Ertz, uh, Zach Ertz asked to be released from Arizona so he could maybe hook on with a contender. Remember, he, also, he already has a ring, too. Uh, he won a ring sure. in Philadelphia. But, yeah, I did. In, uh, I was released by the Dolphins after the 93 season. So the 94 year, I ran for a couple of teams during the season. And I think it was about week 12, I went and ran. The 49ers had an issue on the D-line. And I went and ran for them. Unfortunately, in the next game they played after I ran for them, I think another player got hurt at another position. So they, they, they brought in a different player. And they went on to win the Super Bowl that year. And yeah, I mean, would it have been great to go through that experience? Uh, yes, it would have, because I'm jealous all the time of, of people going and winning Super Bowls. But it would have been great to be a part of it, but I wouldn't have felt a huge part of it, right? I would have been there and played a, a spot player, and it would have been, like I said, a great experience overall. But I wouldn't have felt like I would have felt when I was in Philadelphia, when we were all together. You know, we won that title as, as guys being together for a while of how you would feel. But for Zach, I mean, he, he kind of chose this. He kind of said, all right, not happening in Arizona. My career is coming to an end. Let me see if someone will want to, you know, sign me to make a run. And this worked out for him perfectly, not so much, you know, for a Brock Wright who had one catch for 29 yards last week. Normally a blocking tight end out of Notre Dame had a nice catch, kind of kind of got, you know, the opposing team gets fooled a little bit, you know, and, and all of a sudden it going to Brock Wright. Laporta still got that knee working, so you never know what's going to happen there. So you have a veteran who's been through all these playoff games, who's been in a Super Bowl, you know, certainly isn't what he was at the height of his career, but can come in and I'm sure give you enough uh, from a guy who's been there, done that in this situation. And eventually your Wikipedia page will just say two-time Super Bowl champion and people will forget how you got to that second one if it did come down to that. So seems like a worthwhile investment if you are Zach Ertz. And like you said, I'm sure Lions fans are hoping, based on all the other factors you mentioned, that they don't have to see Zach Ertz out there all much and that this is just an insurance right. policy as they get set to face a 49ers team this weekend that's been the boogeyman in the NFC for a while. Um, and Dad, while we're on the subject of the Lions... Why don't we get to a little segment that we like to call Yums and Tums around here. Ah. It's sponsored by Tums. With Tums Fast Heartburn Relief, your favorite foods are never a gamble. And the Lions certainly not going to gamble on the tight end position, but also not going to take any chances when it comes to making sure that their fans are properly fed during the course of a game. Dad, did you see the picture of giant sandwich Lions fans that started going viral during this game? Unbelievable. I mean, listen, as foodies that we are, I mean, how could you not appreciate something like this? It's absolutely incredible. So according to Darren Ravel, the sandwich at the Lions game yesterday was assembled by the fan for about $65 and 94, uh, 94 cents plus tax. It looks like it was assembled uh, the tower from six individual turkey club sandwiches that were purchased at the Blitz grab and go market at Ford Field. So this man had to do a little bit of work. And I'm going to be honest, dad, for one guy. Now, we don't know if he shared with the section. We don't know if he was taking bits of this off. It's a good means of storage, but obviously very inefficient if you're going to try and do anything other than pluck individual Sammies off the top of this. What I'd imagine so is a pretty solid spire going up the gut. I mean, let's let's be honest about this thing, right? All right, not 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 easy to eat to take apart and eat. Also, when we say make a sandwich, I mean he just he just put a stick through a bunch of sandwiches, right? I mean he just stacked sandwiches and put a stick through them, right? Yeah, I mean he did it for how attention. Much what, how much like, credit are we really giving him for making this unbelievable sandwich? He just bought a bunch of sandwiches and stuck a big stick through them. So I don't know if I'm willing to go out on a limb and saying, wow, what a moment here. I'm not going to lie. He's making a so scene. So you're not impressed. He's making well, a scene. See, Come on. He, I mean, making a scene, he's making a statement that being well-fed is important. Like, I mean, this sounds like the people that are arguing uh, like against Jason Kelsey. I've seen this pop up a lot the last couple of days where everyone's getting on Jason Kelsey saying this was a look-at-me Louie move and he was trying to make a scene there. I even saw some people start to go as far as saying, oh, it was nice of Jason to do this to take some of the heat off of Taylor Swift, who's constantly been this focus of everyone's eye from the outside. 
The man did it because he's drunk as hell and likes taking his yeah. shirt off. It's yeah. a pretty yeah. easy order of operations to see going there. So while it ends up being for attention, I still want to give everybody, I think, the respect they're owed in their respective fields here. I don't know Anonymous Sandwich Man, but I like to imagine he's someone that's knee-deep in the game of making sure that he's well-fed. Well, I'm good with that. I mean, I'm definitely good with that. But as far as, you know creativity again he took ready-made sandwiches and stuck a stick through them so I, there, there's part of me that's you see anyone that else in the stadium do it but no. what was the goal no. here do you know what i mean Cause, yeah because keeping them in their individual you know i don't know how they come but i'm assuming they're packaged or they're in something would be easier so what was would the it? goal would it, would it be easier to have a bunch of little sandwiches sitting around you in various containers that you've got to try and balance or juggle or having them all in one very convenient large cylinder that you can then pluck from after? I think there's more form in this than you're giving or more function in this than you're giving it credit you for. You think this is comfortable? He's, he's going to sit there like this for the whole game with his hand up holding this thing with all the sandwiches Oh, no, see, I that. think... I. I think we're seeing him in the midst of the creative process here. I think when you're actually letting it fly, you take one of the containers that you had before, you put it on the ground, and then you sit this thing right between your legs on top of that container so it's not touching the floor at Ford Field, but you can just reach down then and pluck sandwiches whenever you need them. I mean, that would be more efficient, yes. I, I got to imagine he shared a bunch of these sandwiches with people, right? Because there's no way he's eating all that. I don't know. So. I mean, I don't know. He does. He's sitting there by himself. It doesn't look like <laughs> he is sitting by himself. <laughs> I, I do hope he had like family members or friends coming back to that area because that that's the only thing I'd say is if it's just you, that's pretty wasteful in the name of doing it for the gram. It would not be the most wasteful thing we've seen. I think there was that kid on no. TikTok that coated his entire parents' kitchen in chocolate that one time that looked like doo-doo, but this would be right up there, especially at stadium prices. Yeah. Oh, I, man. Uh, like, like I said, I guess, Mike, I'm looking for a little more creativity. I, I, I guess... I, I, and no, normally I'm, I'm not ripping somebody who has to do with a lot of food, so I'm a little disgusted with myself right now, but I, I expected something a little different. Wow. So this guy's name is John Robinson. He is a Troy, Michigan resident. He's been a Lions season ticket holder for 15 years. So this is a guy who's been there a while. We don't know if he's acted out like this before. We don't know what right. his general MO is, but he has been coming there for a while. So I'd imagine there's probably, especially as a season ticket holder, people in his section there at each home game. He builds it. Oh, wow. He does this at each home game? The sandwich Oh, my thing? God. He does the sandwich thing at each home game. See, this is why we needed this Lions run to happen so that yeah. this has been uncovered. This, he said, yeah. he told M Live, I've been doing this for a long time, and I made that sandwich on Sunday a little bigger just because of the playoffs. Understood the gravity of the moment and went all out because he knew his team needed the boost there. That's a team player. All right, I'll give him that. That's a team player, and I'm sure the people around him, like I said, are happy because he's got to be sharing that sandwich. There's just yeah. no way he's down in that whole thing. So I'd imagine the people around him are pretty happy as well. I'll give him kudos to that. He's consistent. Doing it for all the games, that's consistency. I, I do like that. I will just say really quickly, if I don't know him and I'm just sitting down, he offers me a sandwich, I'm not taking it. Oh, man. Oh, if I you am. catch me like Jason yeah. Kelsey, nine Labatt Blue Lights deep at that yeah. point, I am going to absolutely yeah. house my sandwich <laughs> yeah. with Johnny Robinson. But, like, what if it's John, who you've seen yeah. come into this section for the last nine years, and you know John's the sandwich plug? That's why I had the caveat there. But I'm saying if I'm just showing up at a game and I don't know this man, and this man turns around and offers me a sandwich from his sandwich stick, I ain't taking it.